0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast for 613. This message was given by Danny Strange. A Ritz-Carlton Hotel. A Mercedes-Benz pulls up. A man in $300 shoes is sitting inside. The valet comes over and, and opens the door, and and the valet is feeling a little bit awkward because he realizes that he knows this man and he's a little embarrassed to make eye contact. They went to high school together. And yet luckily the man in the car is on the phone and doesn't notice that he knows the valet. And, and he just scurries along, gets out of the car and takes the claim. And, and then as he starts to walk into the hotel, he looks back and he sees that he recognizes the valet. And they exchange an awkward... <laughs> How are you doing? What are you here for? And the rich man says, oh, I'm here for the reunion. It's our class reunion tonight. Did you get the invitation? And The valet drops his head. He says, yeah, I got it. I have to work. I'll be out here. The rich man takes a few steps into the Ritz-Carlton. And he looks and the place is extravagantly beautiful. He thinks about how excited he is to be stepping into this reunion. He's doing well. He's got his nice shoes on tonight. And he gets to go and interact with some of his friends from high school that he knows have not been doing as well. And he's not a prideful guy, but just nice to know that you made it, you know? all these people in high school thought you were nothing, but now you can show them you're something. And as he walks into the Ritz-Carlton and starts to take in the scene, he thinks about how grateful he is. God, I'm so thankful that I'm not, I'm not like other people in my class. You know, there are friends of mine from high school they are hooked on drugs now. I know guys who have gone through four or five marriages by now, and I'm still with my wife. You know, there's some who are running around, still trying to figure out their life, and even this valet over here, I mean, sure, bless his heart, he's here, but I'm just thankful, God, that you have blessed me with, with getting it, you know? I work hard at work. I know how to get ahead, I, I took my studies seriously. I go to church. I give whatever I get. I give the terse tenth to God. And God, thank you that you've blessed me as I've honored you with my life. Out in the cold, the valet looks inside and just wishes that he could go in and and be with his friends. So he goes to his boss and he says, hey, can I get tonight off? This is my class reunion and these are my friends from high school. In there, please, please, please. I know I said I'd work. I know I I need to be here, but can I please get off this time? And the boss says, no, man, you got to work out here. I tell you, one of those people was able to attend his class reunion, and the other man was not. And that story is similar to Jesus' story, but also very different, right? If Jesus' story was set at the Ritz-Carlton, it would be a story about a rich man who was grateful to God that he had arrived in life. He would go into that place and he'd be so thankful that God had not made him unfortunate like the other people in his class, and, and he'd take a little bit of pride in that, and, and yet the bottom line would be that, that one of those two men would be able to enter that party and the other one would not. If we told that story to our kids as a bedtime story, and the moral of the story would be, hey, work hard. Stay in school. Don't mess around. Go to church. Do the right thing and God will bless you. Because we don't want our kids to be like that valet. Or like the guy who's on the fifth marriage or the adulterer or the, the drug addict out there. We want our kids to be like the rich man. But Jesus' story isn't set at the Ritz-Carlton. And that makes me think that maybe the church is less like the Ritz-Carlton and more like something else. It's a place where these two men come in, and the one who goes home getting what he's looking for is the poor man, not the rich man. And imagine the Mercedes-Benz pulls up in the inner city of Oakland in front of a soup kitchen, and a man with a $300 pair of shoes gets out. The rich man, is part of his church service, has been working on Saturdays, feeding the homeless, and... So he walks through the front door of the soup kitchen, and awkwardly he, he realizes that the front door attendant is a guy he went to high school with. He says, "Hey, how you been doing?" He's like, "Oh, good. I'm doing great." He's like, "Yeah, I'm doing great too." Well, you know, obviously, <laughs> Southern Mercedes. So why'd you choose to work at the soup kitchen? And the guy says, "Oh, you know what I..." After high school, I kind of went through a rough patch and I was on the streets for a while and I found this place and, and I came in and, and they gave me a chance and they gave me a shot and I started helping out behind the scenes and, and now I finally have a job. I work here at the front desk and, and home I go, I, at night I go home and it's kind of my life now. And the rich man wa- walks into the soup kitchen and he kind of puts on the apron and the hat and grabs the spoon and starts serving people. And he's feeling pretty good that, that he's able to be charitable in that way, you know. And these people, he's looking around and he sees people who have just made a wreck of their lives. He could tell some people are drunk. He starts to hear some stories of people who have just ruined their families. And been married three or four or five times. And this guy starts to think to himself, God, I am so thankful that I'm not like these people. You know, drunk, out on the streets going through marriages after marriages after marriages. I mean, even like my buddy at the front desk here. I worked hard for my money. <laughs> I went to school. I worked my way up the corporate ladder, and I go to church, and I, I give my money to the ministry, and I even serve here at this soup kitchen, God. I'm so thankful you made me like who I am, and, and you taught me that hard work pays off. And meanwhile, over in the corner, you see the man leave the front desk, and he goes and talks to his supervisor, and... He says, hey, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I, I had a hard week. I don't have any food at home. I haven't eaten in a couple days. Is it okay if I jump in line and get some food with the, the homeless guys today? And, and the supervisor says, yeah, of course, man. Of course, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Just go get in line. i tell you the truth. The, the poor man and not the rich man went home with their stomachs filled on that day if you were telling that as a bedtime story to your kids, the moral would be more confusing, wouldn't it? And what is the moral of that story? You got, you got this, this poor man who worked his way up, and that's a good thing, who, who, who tried to, to kind of make the best of a bad situation, and, and God kind of brought him back up again, and so maybe the moral of the story is, don't, don't feel bad about asking for charity when you need it, because when you need it, you'll get it if you just humble yourself and get, go to your boss and say, hey, can I, can I get a little bit of the food tonight? The moral of that story would be, don't, don't be ashamed to ask for mercy. But if we were critiquing that story, we would say that there's something missing from it, right? Because there's something in the story that doesn't really tie together very well. Well, what's the point of the rich man? The rich man seems like the main character of the story. He seems like the person the story is ultimately about. But when we look at the poor person in the story, we see that his is where the moral is tied. But if the story would be better, like if Jesus could improve this story a little, maybe Jesus would have had the rich man actually be poor, right? So instead of having a Mercedes and money in the bank, maybe he's hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. And the whole thing's a facade. And he's just pretending to be rich. But really at home, his cupboards are empty and he's starving. And he goes and he's too prideful to ask for help. And so he goes home hungry. But that's not the story Jesus tells. And that would be a really cool story, wouldn't it? It's like, oh man, did you see that? Two people come in and they both are hungry and one goes home filled. In Jesus' story, two men come in. One is hungry, one is not. And the poor guy goes home filled and and the rich guy just leaves rich. Jesus says two men go into a church and the rich man comes in and he sees all the riffraff in society and even that tax collector over there and he prays to God a similar prayer. God, I am so thankful that I'm not like other men. Adulterers, evildoers, robbers, (laughs) even the tax collector over there. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. And off in the corner, hiding, is the tax collector. who's so ashamed of where he is in his life and where he feels like he stands before God that all he can do is beat his chest and say, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, that man and not the other went home in a right relationship with God. The rich man that Jesus describes is not a man who comes into the church spiritually hungry. He's like the rich man at the soup kitchen who comes in with his stomach full. He just got his food from another place. The rich man in the Mercedes Benz, he probably stopped at Starbucks on the way to the soup kitchen. Maybe he rolled through this great like food cart area and got some good egg sandwiches or whatever and he pulled hundreds out of his pocket and just threw a big one in the tip jar and just went on his way. He had plenty of money. He had plenty of food. His stomach was full. He just got it filled out there. But the poor man in the soup kitchen, his stomach was empty and so he had to come and get it filled inside the walls of Charity. Jesus says, spiritually, the Pharisee walks into a church, and yeah, he's got a good relationship with God, but he didn't get it in here, and he didn't get it from there. He got it on his own. He pulled himself up by his bootstraps. He didn't need God to show him any mercy. He didn't need God's grace. He he proved to God that he could do it on his own. And so he was in a good relationship with God in his mind, not because God did anything for him, but because he did good things for God. He felt like, yeah, I've got a great relationship with God, but I didn't come get it by groveling and begging for mercy. I did it by being a good person. I I showed God that I didn't need him to be righteous. I could be righteous on my own. (laughs) Unlike the tax collector man, he couldn't muster up any righteousness on his own. There was nothing he brought to the table when he came to meet with God. <laughs> the tax collector couldn't stand up and say, God, I'm thankful that I did this right because he hadn't done anything right. And he wasn't thankful that he was who he was. He felt ashamed of who he was. The tax collector thought, if, if God judges based on, on what we do, I'm toast. And so all that he could muster up was that, that small prayer, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, I have no righteousness that I got out there. I'm going to have to get it from you. And Jesus says, out of those two men, one of them walked out of the doors of the church in a right relationship with God, and one of them did not. And the one who walked away right with God was the tax collector. You know, the story of the, the rich man who's really secretly poor, who volunteers at the soup kitchen and keeps up the Mercedes Benz, but really he's starving. That's a scary story. But the story that Jesus tells is even scarier. He tells a story of people who, who look like they have it all together, and they think they have it all together. They think they're spiritually filled when they're truly spiritually empty. They come before God and feel like they're being Just filled with overflowing thanksgiving that he's made them so wonderful. The Pharisee didn't repent because he didn't feel like he needed to. He didn't ask God for forgiveness because he didn't need any forgiveness in his mind. He came before God and all he said was, God, I am so thankful. Jesus describes him as a man who found religion in himself or righteousness in himself and looked at others with contempt. I get nervous because when I read this story, I feel like a lot of times I look more like the Pharisee than the tax collector. It's so hard not to look at other people with contempt. I feel like if I walked into a soup kitchen, I would be grateful that I wasn't like those people. If I walked into my class reunion, I'd be grateful that I'm still married to my wife. And I might even pray a prayer and say, God, I'm so thankful that I'm not like the other people I know. We're in jail, on the streets, alcoholics, going through marriages. God, I, I go to church every week. I, I, work, I work at the church, and I, I tithe my money, and I read my Bible every day. It doesn't seem terrible to be grateful. And yet Jesus says, be very careful, because gratitude might just be Christianese for Pride. You ever heard of Christianese before? <laughs> it's a special language that Christians have. Uh, the, I didn't grow up in the church, so I didn't, wasn't really fluent in Christianese. And yet, when my wife and I moved to Dallas, and that is like, that is like a English second language because it's Christianese first language in Dallas, Texas. And, and there were a lot of great Christian ways to say things that were terrible and that's the best thing about christianese right you can find ways to say sinful things but make it sound like you're saying righteous things and so i I remember that we'd be sitting in a group of people or you meet someone at a church or whatever and they start gossiping and they're talking about oh my brother-in-law that guy's an idiot you know, he just goes through wife after wife after wife. doesn't pay his child support payments. Uh, I mean, if you, if you would ask me, I'd say he's not even saved. And then they'd say, bless his heart. <laughs> like, bless his heart is like the undo button for any terrible thing you said. Because you're saying, this is a terrible person, let's gossip about him for a little while, but I feel a little bit guilty that I gossiped, and so I'm going to throw up a quick prayer and ask that God would bless his heart, because his actions are so idiotic that that maybe his heart is right in the midst of it. And so it's a great way, if you're ever looking for a way to, to say something sinful, but sound like you're saying something righteous, that's a freebie, bless his heart. There's other Christianese talked to people before who just feel called to follow God into something. Say, so, you know what? God has called me to go and bring the gospel to my neighbor. Or God has called me to, to go and confront my friend on this issue that's killing him. And God has called me to go across the street and build a relationship with this person in my neighborhood. Let's, and I say, let's pray about that. And we pray about it. And I say, hey, now go and do it. Go and do it. Go and do the thing God has called you to do. And then they come back next week and I say, how, how was it? How was that confrontational conversation? How, how, how was that, that walk across the street? How was that moment we were praying for? And, and I say, oh, you know what? I, I prayed about it a lot. I just didn't have a peace about it. With well, us Christianese, I didn't have a peace about it is a way to say, I, I'm a coward and I didn't want to do what God called me to do, and so I didn't. But I wanted to make it seem like it was God's fault I didn't do it, not my own. Right? He didn't come back and say, I chickened out. Let's pray again and go after it. He didn't say, oh, I realized that what I was doing was a dumb thing. He didn't say, oh, yeah, I really wanted to, but I didn't get the opportunity. He said, oh, I really wanted to, but, but I just felt like God wasn't giving me the green light yet. So, so it's God's fault that you didn't do what you told me last week God told you to do. I'm not saying that God, like, spoke to you audibly and now you're disobeying or something. I'm just saying be very careful if you're going to blame your lack of obedience on the one who called you to do it. He didn't give me a piece. The funny thing is when you read the Bible, there are terrifying things that people do. You think of Jesus going to the cross. He didn't have a piece about it. Did you know that? Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's sweating blood, and he's terrified. And his body's being ripped apart even in anticipation of it. And he comes before the Lord and says, God, in a sense, I don't have a peace about this, but I want to do what you want me to do, so let me not trust what I feel. Let me trust what you've called me to do. That's the biblical mandate. But Christianese is, it makes it a really easy way for us to avoid what God is calling us to do. And we all have a lot of variations on that. We have this like open door, closed door theology. And you read the New Testament, that's where it comes from. Paul says, I'm called by God to bring the gospel to many people and yet there are doors that are closed. Pray that God would open them. And and so we've taken that concept and now what we do with it is we've turned it around and we say, God has called me to do this but uh, he closed the door. It's like, what do you mean he closed the door? What happened? It's like, oh, I didn't have have a peace about it. It's like, that's not a door. I want to say, well, let's make up another thing. When God closes the door, he opens a window, right? <laughs> and we make up all these theologies, and, and the reason that we do them is because we want a Christiany way to say, I, I didn't do what God called me to do. <laughs> but it's not because I'm bad. It's, I mean, he messed up. He didn't give me the peace. That's his job. He didn't open the door. I mean, I, t- I tried to go on that missions trip, and, and you know what? I, I just didn't have a peace about it. I think one of the scary Christianies that we pick up on is what this Pharisee does in this passage. Thankful. We read the story and we, we hear about a prideful guy who thought he was better than everyone else and he had no need for God. And yet the way he words it is, God, not God, I'm prideful. says, God, I'm thankful. God, I'm so thankful that I've got my life together. God, I'm so thankful that you've led me to live a good life, unlike those people. God, I'm so thankful that I, that, I, that I grew up in America, unlike those terrible places. God, I'm so thankful, 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 thankful. And sometimes we're thankful, but sometimes we're prideful. And the difference between thanksgiving and pride, is a fine line, but the scary difference is that Jesus says that the prideful people have their eyes blocked and so they cannot see God. Where, of course, gratitude is an amazing thing. You know, if that man was in a right relationship with God, that Pharisee, and he walked into the church on that day, and he got before the Lord, and he prayed a prayer and said, God, I'm so thankful. I, I look around at some of my friends from high school, and, and their lives are falling apart. and And I know that it's just because of you. <laughs> Again, there's another Christianese statement that's awesome that, that goes this way. If not for the grace of God, go I. Have you hear that one? It's like the opposite of the bless his heart thing. Someone says, Oh, did you hear about so-and-so? You know, he's on drugs now. <laughs> bless his heart. And you say, Hey, you know what? If it wasn't for the grace of God, I'd be on drugs too. And that's a great Christianese. It's you remembering that that we're thankful that we're not on drugs, or we're thankful that we're not in poverty, we're thankful that we have a life that's right now working out pretty well, but we're not thankful because we're good, we're thankful because his grace has somehow put us in this spot right now, and we know that our spot is easier than someone else's spot, and we know that the reason that we're doing well right now is not because we're better than that other person, we honestly don't know why. And well, the Bible tells us over and over again that the rain falls on the righteous and the evil. That God brings his blessing on the good, he brings his blessing on the bad. He brings hardship to the good, he brings hardship to the bad. And so when we look at our lives, and we look at the heavens, and we look at our bank accounts, and we see that all things are great, that's not an indication that you're great. Because for some reason, God has put you in a season right now where things are going well. And the Apostle Paul says, I've learned the secret of being rich, and the secret of being poor. says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We take the good from the Lord. Shouldn't we also take the bad? Over and over in Scripture, we see stories that what happens to us and what's in our lives, it's not necessarily an indication that you're a good person. God doesn't bless you because you're better than the person next door and that's why your car tires last longer than his car tires, right? (laughs) And we really want it to be that way because we wish we could do good things and earn God's favor because it's cleaner that way. Because we can take pride when things are good And, and we can take control all the time. I'm not saying there's not a correlation between bad behavior and bad consequences or good behavior and good consequences. If you love your wife and honor your wife, you're more likely to stay with your wife than if you are terrible to your wife. It's just, that's how things work. Yeah, The problem comes is when we think that our lot in life was earned, not graced upon us. And so if you come into the church and and you look around and you feel like your life looks more like that Pharisee's life, your job is to be thankful but not to be prideful. To realize that if things are going well, it's, it's only because God has graced you with a life that's going well right now and And when you look at the people around you whose lives are not going so well, instead of turning your face against them in judgment, you bring care, you bring understanding, you bring a helping hand, you bring support, you bring service, you bring love, you bring prayers, you bring whatever you can, but you don't bring your judgment. You bring a heart that understands the gospel. That They are lower on the social totem pole than you, not because they're a lower human being than you. But because in this world, there are people in all different walks and it's our, our role to love every single person. If you walk into this room and you're like that tax collector, you feel like I'm gonna sit here in the corner in the dark because I'm just... I don't feel like I can even stand before God. The, the lesson we learn in this parable is that when you come before God and you ask him to show you his mercy, he will. That he's not gonna respond to you and say, no, no, no don't you pray to me, you're not as good as that person. Why don't you get your life cleaned up and then come and pray to me? Jesus says, no, that man who just came before the Lord and had nothing to offer and said, God, show me your mercy, I'm a sinful person. That person walked out of that room in a right relationship with the Father. Because our relationship with God is not dependent or contingent on our behavior. It's dependent on, on him and his favor. And Jesus tells us that his father will forgive anyone who comes before him. Ask me anything in my name and I will give it to you, Jesus says. 1 John 1.9 says, if you, if, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you. From all unrighteousness. So if you tell this story as a bedtime story to your kids, make sure they understand the moral. That it's not that if you're terrible, you should go to God and find forgiveness. And if you're good, then you don't need it. But that we should all be humble. That's how Jesus ends it. He says, he who humbles himself will be exalted. But he who exalts himself will be humbled. So whether your life's going great or your life is going terribly right now, come before the Lord in humility. Don't think of yourself more highly than you're on. If you have sins, confess your sins. If things are coming going well for you, recognize that it's just because God has given you a season of this and thank him for that and, and then move on, right? But guard yourself against thinking that you are an amazing person and have earned something that other people have not It's poison. And it can blind our eyes and cause us to walk away from the Lord and rely on ourselves instead. One of the reasons we love taking communion regularly every week in 613 is it's an every single week reminder that he's the one who gives us life. The gospel is that we come to God with nothing and we walk away with everything. That we come empty to this table and our stomachs, our spiritual stomachs are empty and yet we fill it with the body and the blood of Jesus. That, that when we earned death, he earned us life. That he was punished on the cross for our sin and rose to new life. And so when we come and receive him, he fills us with his righteousness that we don't have. Tonight, if you're a believer in Jesus, come and take communion and remember that. And as you take this, these elements, you will proclaim what he has done in your life. And you won't be like this Pharisee who loves to proclaim what he has done in his life, but instead we proclaim what Jesus has done in our lives instead. Let's pray, and then we'll take communion. Lord, we know there's that fine line between humility and pride and we pray that you would give us freedom, that we wouldn't be so concerned with the words that we say, that we forget about the heart that says them, that we would be people who are truly grateful for the life we have, the breath we have, the food that we have, the, the lot that we are currently experiencing in our lives. But you would guard us from feeling that we are great and so you've given us good things. Because we know that we tend to wander from the gospel and become people who are caught up in just being good people and earning your favor. And, and that's not how life works. Thank you for sending Jesus to rescue us when all we could say is, Lord, have mercy on us a sinner. I pray that now as we take communion that you would remind us that he is the one who fills us. That his is the righteousness that we have been given And that we can't earn any of this. And help us to live in that humility and find ourselves growing and growing and growing in our faith as we cling to Jesus and stay humble. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional 613 messages or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.